Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and welcome to episode 820 with Marianne Lewis. Marianne has some excellent wisdom, really good perspectives for whenever you're thinking through problems, how to think through them better, solve them faster, and with more fun, creativity, and good vibes and outcomes. You'll learn one why to never ask yourself, should I? As in, should I do this or that? How to find the benefit from the yin and yang of everything and the three steps for better decision-making. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we mentioned, please visit us over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP820. And while there, check out some goodies like the transcripts, the email goodies, and more at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Marianne Lewis's story. Marianne W. Lewis is Dean and Professor of Management at the Lindner College of Business at the University of Cincinnati. She previously served as Dean of CAS, recently renamed Bayes, School of Business at City University of London, and as a Fulbright Scholar. A thought leader in organizational paradoxes, she explores tensions and competing demands surrounding leadership and innovation. Lewis has been recognized among the world's most cited researchers in her field and received the Paper of the Year Award and Decade Award from the Academy of Management Review. She enjoys her three children and two grandchildren from her home base in Cincinnati. Big thanks to Marianne for sharing her wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Marianne. Marianne, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm excited to dig into your wisdom. We're talking about both and thinking, embracing creative tensions to solve your toughest problems. I like so much of those words. So can you kick us off with maybe a particularly surprising or counterintuitive discovery you've made about problem solving from all of your research and teaching here? I mean, I've been studying tensions, right? Competing demands, that tug of war we feel in our hearts, whether it's dealing with strategy, dealing with our lives, dealing with teams for about 25 years. And I think the the big aha and the reason I spent two plus decades doing this, was early in my career when I realized that our default is to this either or thinking, right? That we get into this challenge and we say, geez, do I spend my, you know, my energy on work or life? Do I think about my performing and hitting my current targets? Or do I need to step back and learn and look around? And in this either or approach, we weigh the pros and cons of these two sides and we make a choice and we think we can move on. Sometimes that can work if these are really simplistic 
issues. But most times, either our thinking is really limiting. It's, are we really limited to only two? Or worse, when you start to play that out, you go down this rabbit hole of saying, well, well, wait a minute, if I put all my energy into hitting my current targets, that would be great. I mean, I would excel. I would, I would have lots to show on my resume. I would prove in my worth. And on the, but then life could change around me and I wouldn't be ready. I'd be flat-footed. But if all I did was, so let's go to the other one, you know, and if I, if I really focused on learning and I'm in higher ed and I, I love learning, but if that was all I did, would I really make an impact? Would I make sure I'm applying what I'm learning in, in process? And so you get into this, you get stuck. Because what you really need is you need both. And so while my work originally focused on, and the aha was, we're limited mm-hmm. in our thinking, in our default. The good news is there's a better way. Okay. Well, that is good news. And so if that is our default, I imagine it'd be quite possible that we're doing it and we don't even notice that we're doing it. Yeah. It's really automatic. As that often happens Mm -hmm. with defaults. So could you maybe give us a few rapid fire examples to shake us out of it a little bit? It's like, here's what I mean by both and versus either or, Mm -hmm. and just notice that there might be more two things than first meets the eye. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you a classic example. We talk to people who will say, boy, I'm not crazy about the work I'm doing right now. So do I stay or do I go? Uh Right. (laughs) Seeing a little clash as you're thinking about that. But again, you don't really have to decide black and white. Do I stay or do I leave this job? You could also say the both and approaches. Well, what do I like about what I do? What do I not like about what I do? Are there ways that I could either personally or and or with my supervisor talk about, I need more of this and less of this. And how do I have those kind of conversations or vice versa? If I say, boy, what I don't have in this job is what I'm starting to realize is what I truly want in life. Well, it's not just then going, it's getting much sharper about what you want. If not, you'll be in this grass is always greener. You'll get there and go, how did I get, wait, this isn't it either. And it's kind of a constant flipping. So to us, both and is about really diving into both sides of the equation and saying, at its best, what does each side bring? And at its worst, if that was all I did, what's the problem there? Because it's through that kind of thinking you realize, okay, I could get more creative here. And now it's not a stay or go. It's let's really dig into what do I want in my in my work. So I use that example, Pete, because I think we've had in some ways, kind of a global existential crisis during the pandemic. We've got a lot of people thinking, is this really what I want to be doing? And questioning. And I sometimes questioning in, a, in too simplified a, a way of, do I just leave? The great resignation. And then you find out, I mean, we're seeing this already in research, that the great resignation has a lot of people not any happier in their second one because they mm-hmm. haven't thought through that fully what they want and what they don't want. Well, thank you. That's powerful, Marianne. And I was just about to to challenge a little bit in terms of, well, ultimately, aren't you either staying or going? I mean, you could, of course, optimize and fine tune and change and have some good conversations about how to improve Mm -hmm. where you are, although that's a subset, I would say, if we're going to nitpick about definitions of saying. But I guess what you're putting forward here is (laughs) just by framing it that way, you're missing out. Wendy Smith is my co-author in the book and, and longtime research colleague. We think framing is 
hugely important. And it starts with really both end thinking starts with changing the kinds of questions we ask. That classic either a question starts with typically a word like do. Do I? Do I stay or go? Hmm. Okay. Versus a more typical both and question starts with how. Mm -hmm. Right? How would I make the most of what I like and where I am? And what am I missing? And how would I find a new combination? Because there are lots of combinations possible. And you're right. It, it still could sound like stay or go. But I mean, let me give you a couple of examples, because Wendy and I've worked with a variety of people who have gone through this one. It could also decide, well, maybe what I'm going to do is I'm going to stay for now and I'm going to build a three to six month plan so that leaving means a much better view of what do I really need and how do I leave in a way that doesn't leave my team in a lurch or feel like I've been disloyal. I mean, because there's, if you unpack that stay or go challenge, you find that there are lots of other challenges within it that are going to make us lean towards one side or the other. And we're going to have to deal with those if we're going to really make a decision that has some lasting power and some creativity to it, for that matter. Mm -hmm. That's really powerful because I think we could really feel the urgency and the, well, tension <laughs> associated with, oh, well, I, I need to reach a decision. And ultimately, these are the only categories that we could fall into. And yet, by taking that pathway of either or, we, we miss out on, on surfacing what's really most important, what are some cool options beyond that, and then how do we get there? So I really like that notion of just check yourself if you're asking a question, do I, as opposed to how that puts you so down some different pathways. So can you mm -hmm. expand upon those in terms of mm -hmm. what are some either or style questions or things to be on the lookout for and their both and counterparts? Well, I'll give you an interesting version of this. Sometimes people can, can ask, you know, if, do I focus on the, the financial benefits, right, of my job or the work that I'm doing, like grow the money, right? Grow the profit, grow the margins, right? Or do I focus on the social responsibility, right? My impact. How do, how do I better the world? I mean, as the dean of a business school, I, I can't stand that question <laughs> because they should be synergistic. And I, we've seen amazing leaders learn how to do both. But they changed that question to how, how can I grow my profits through social responsibility, right? That was the question posed by Paul Pullman when he was turning around Unilever. And his goals were to double the profits while having their environmental footprint. And people said, you're crazy. That's not how it works. The bigger you are, the more damage you do. And he said, no, we touch 2 billion consumers a day at Unilever. We can't afford that. And I actually just had a, an exactly my office who ran a Gerber clothing for children's clothes. And he, he said, you know, clothing is, is notorious for being unsustainable. I mean, it's just, it's a, we throw away billions of pounds, let alone tons of, of wasted clothing. And he said, what Unilever and Paul, who's such a both end thinker, and we, we study him and write him out in the book, but this, this leader was talking about at Gerber too, is you start to realize actually by being sustainable, you reduce waste. You're more efficient. By the way, that means you reduce costs, which mm -hmm. increases profit. And by being socially responsible, you have a whole host of customers who say, I have choices. And you will have customers who say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose, I will rather choose a firm that's sustainable. And by the way, as we've seen from lots of these same firms, we actually have investors who will eventually 
and it, this is happening increasingly, say, I actually want to invest in more sustainable firms. And so here, this question of, do I focus on the financial or my social responsibilities is quickly, be, and well, maybe not as quickly as we'd like, but it is becoming a moot point. Mm-hmm. I mean, the leaders of Toyota were saying this with quality and cost in the 80s. They practically put the American auto manufacturers out of business because we were sitting there going, oh, no, it doesn't work that way. Higher the quality, the higher the cost. And they said, no, higher the quality, the let lower the rework, the more efficient, the more, right? And then you say Toyota and Honda take off. So, I mean, I just gave you two strategic examples, but we ask those similar types of questions in our lives, in our both in our work and our decisions about the work that we do in our own values. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd like us to open our minds a bit and reframe, as you said. Okay. Well, when it comes to our minds, you've got an interesting term, the paradox mindset. What is that and how could that help us? Yeah, a paradox mindset. So when we think about either or, we think about trade-offs. I mean, picture like a scale and you're doing this weighing between the sides. When we think about a both-and, both-and thinking, we put those opposing decisions into a yin-yang which is such a beautiful symbol of paradox. So if you can picture the yin-yang, you have kind of a a dark, uh, a black and a white sliver. And so you've got two sides to this. But there also there's this dynamic flow between them where you see that they actually define each other. It's only together that you see this whole, right, of the circle. And if you can picture the yin-yang in your mind, as you move higher into, say, the dark, there's actually a pinprick of white, and the view is, as you get higher and higher into one side, you actually feel more pull on this ebb and flow into the other, right? This is night and day. It's love and hate. It's trust and distrust, self and other, right? I'm, I'm being more philosophical here, but those play into the way we think about challenges, right? Why is a financial responsibility and social responsibility opposites on a scale versus yin and yang? And how could they work together more synergistically? So that was a a way of sharing the reason we use the term paradox is to start to change our views from a trade-off to this yin-yang mindset. And a paradox mindset means two things. We have two dimensions, and we've measured this now over thousands of people. It's in many, it's in multiple languages. We started in three. We started in Chinese, Israeli, it was in, and then in U.S. and American. I guess I did geography. This is where we did the study. But what we found is there are two dimensions. One is some people are more sensitized to see and feel tensions. Now, that could be because you're in a particularly stressful, conflict-laden time, so there are a lot of tensions around you. And it can be you're somebody like me who sees them in her sleep. I just tend to, right, I, I, I pick them out very quickly. And the more you practice paradox thinking, actually, the more sensitized you become, regardless of your work. So there's the how much do you experience and see tensions? And then the other side is how much when you see them, do you see tensions as just a problem to either ignore, work through, move quickly, or do you see them as an opportunity? That in that tension, there is this creative friction and an opportunity to learn, innovate, grow. What we found is people who have this paradox mindset, they see tensions as opportunities. They think about them as this yin-yang are much more likely, according to their supervisors, to be more productive and more creative, and according to themselves, to be more happy, be more satisfied. So what we're finding with a paradox mindset is, especially if you are dealing with tensions, 
that ability to move into them, seeing opportunity, benefits for learning and working toward a both and will pay off in really powerful ways for you as an individual and probably for your organization, giving those benefits. Mm-hmm. Well, could you give us several examples of individuals who they, they saw some tensions and then they considered them with a both and perspective or a paradox mindset and, mm-hmm. and cool things emerged as a result? Yeah. I mean, I'll give you a few of, of some leaders that I've enjoyed studying over the years. Mutar Kent is fascinating. He was the uh, CEO and chairman of Coca-Cola, which is an interesting example because one of the tensions we see quite a bit is global and versus local, right? Mm-hmm. And you could think about this also as centralized, decentralized, right, is another way to think about it. But Coca-Cola is actually the best known image in the world, even better than Mickey Mouse, right? People just know the red can anywhere. So you have this huge global reach and scale. I mean, scale provides you incredible opportunities, really well-coordinated impact, reach, et cetera. And you're talking about Coca-Cola. You're talking about something you drink. Tastes are as differentiated locally as imaginable. And so Coca-Cola, and particularly Mucha, would always say, look, we have to be the best known global brand and leverage that scale and have this tremendous value appreciation tapping into those local differences as possible. We have to be both if we are truly going to be a global brand. And if you go to the Coca-Cola Museum in Atlanta, you will see they have lots of variations based on local differentiation of tastes. So even as a global brand, it also has local differences. Even if it has global reach and scale of like the Walmarts, Amazons of the world, they also are really good at tapping into very local supply chains, retailers, because depending on where you're going, sometimes big boxes, let alone Amazon, they're not there. So that's just a different view of the global local. Another one I would share is a fun discussion I've had recently with Rocketbook. We wrote about it in Fast Company, but Rocketbook is dealing like everybody else with hybrid work, right? What do you do home versus away? And one of the reasons we we started working on this with Fast Company and we, we ended up going to Rocketbook is that people might think that hybrid work is a win-win, but most often it's actually experienced as a lose-lose because you've lost the boundaries between work and home. So you go into work and you're sitting on Zoom calls, right? That doesn't, that doesn't exactly feel like a value to, you know, you've just done the commute and everything else, or you're at home and you've still got all of life and home, family, other things distracting and challenged around you. And you're feeling like you're really not at your best in either location. So talking with uh, uh, Jake and Joe, the co-founders of Rocketbook, Rocketbook does sustainable notebooks. They do reusable notebooks. It's it's a really cool technology. Um, I highly recommend it. They said pre-pandemic, we were already hybrid. And I said, well, well, why? And they said, because we believe in the power of work at home or work non-office is deep work. Mm -hmm. That work that you really need solitude, focus, And they have a lot of designers and engineers, and they said, we want them to have that opportunity to be at their best selves. And on the other hand, we knew, and we still believe this wholly, that the best creativity will always happen around a table with a whiteboard, with a, right, all these, and that takes in the office. And so because they had already believed in the power of hybrid work, they came out of COVID really strong because 
they had they kind of perfected why you come in, when you come in, how you come in, and when you work at home. And they learned this creative way to be both and to think about those synergies in ways that made people keep the differences, value separation. They use lots of cool ways to use technologies that we all use, like Outlook and other platforms, to respect people's deep work time and while they're at home, also have times that you say, now I'm going grocery shopping or now I'm, I mean, they, they really got creative in how they used both. But I think that's a very different way than a lot of firms saying, is it three days or two days? Or is it right? There's a very basic approach to hybrid that isn't how are you deeply making the most of the time together and the time apart? So I would I would note those two because I love both options and I think we live them in our lives, not just at an organizational level. Intriguing. So the Rocket Book parameters then for whether you work from home or from the office on a given day is not just blanket two days, three days, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays. No. But rather what is the nature of what you're working on? And then please freely come into the office so we can do that better or stay at home so you can do that better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other way I would say that, Pete, is we talk about in the book, one of the key assumptions to moving to both end mindset is moving from thinking about your resources as scarce to abundant and an abundant mindset matters. And so it was interesting talking to the folks at Rocketbook because time is a classic resource. And so you could say, well, yeah, but they're only 24 hours in the day or eight days in the work, eight hours in the work day, whatever. And what Jake and Joe would say is, yeah, but every hour isn't created equally. Right. If you tell me, like I'm a, I'm a morning person. I like it super early. Okay. Then I'm going to work from five until 10 is going to be my deep work time. I don't want to be bothered from five till 10, but I want you to know I'm on it. And by the way, I'm then going to take a break because I'm going to be really like low. And then I'm going to come in for a few hours. And right. So they figured out ways to, to make that. And then at the same time, they have people who are super late night owls and they'll even have office times like at 11 o'clock. But my point with the abundance mindset is it's not that they're using more time or less time. They're using time better. And they're Mm -hmm. using it in a way, to your point about, yes, it's, it's the home versus work, but it's also time that they're playing with to say, what is the kind of work you're trying to do? When are you at your best versus when do we get people together, whether it's on Zoom or in the office? It's a more nuanced approach than the, is it three days or two days? And is Mm -hmm. it, by the way, is it eight to five? Yeah. And I like that. I think that really is empowering to people. That's cool. That's cool. Well, tell me, Marianne, anything else you want to make sure to mention? Any top do's or don'ts about both and thinking or embracing creative tensions we should cover before we hear about some of your favorite things? I think I would just, you know, as a key takeaway, and, you know, obviously you, you can go dive deeper in the book. We talk about three key steps. I mean, you need to change the question you asked from this either or to a to an and. How do I accommodate my opposing, my competing demands? The second piece is instead of just weighing the pros and cons, we say you need to separate and connect. You need to pull apart that yin-yang, think about really what you value on both sides, and then think about how you're going to hold it together with a higher vision and some key guides. And then the third piece is you start to change the way you think about your solutions. Because again, with either or, the the end result is a single choice. But with a paradox, when you're dealing with these kind of tensions, they don't really go away. I might decide today between work and home, but I'll have to decide again tomorrow, Mm -hmm. right? Or I may decide between, you know, am I really going to focus on current targets or learning for the future? 
but I'll have to make that decision again. So we think about one of the most key decision-making modes that we see of people who are really good at both-end thinking is think about it as tightrope walking. You're continuing to move forward, but you're making these kind of micro decisions on an ongoing basis between challenges, between work or home, between social and financial, between learning and performing, between self and other, right? Where your focus is. But you don't let yourself lean so far to one side that you fall because that's really hard to get back up. And it takes some intention to know that you are holding them together. You need both elements and you're moving forward. So I do think that's key to think about, you know, three steps in some ways. All right. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? A quote that Wendy and I often return to was by Paul Watzlowick and his colleagues at Stanford. They're psychologists. And the quote is, the problem is not the problem. The problem is the way we think about the problem. All right. And to me, that's key to this decision making is actually the way we've thought about the problem has limited our solutions. Okay. And could you share a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I think my favorite study was by Rothenberg. It was in 1979, I think. And Rothenberg was studying creative geniuses. He was studying Picasso, Mozart, Einstein, Virginia Woolf, and he was reading all their journals and different things. And what his finding was that the genius of these creative individuals came from valuing tensions, seeing them as opportunities, Picasso seeing light and dark, Einstein seeing things in movement and in rest, Virginia Woolf, it was life and death, Mozart was harmony and discord. He called it Janusian thinking. That was Rothenberg's kind of finding. Janus was this two-faced god looking in two directions simultaneously. But his point was that these creative geniuses found real value in the tensions. They sought conflicts for their greatest works. And I think that is a huge takeaway of instead of viewing these as problems, I mean, as in things that we want to avoid, work through as fast as possible, we should seek them out because they have potential fodder, fuel for really great creative opportunities. Okay. And a favorite book? I think my favorite book is probably The Tao of Physics by Frank Capra. This is just a fascinating book. It goes back to Einstein. I really think Einstein and all the individuals that developed quantum physics were in this paradox mindset in a way that was really cool. But The Tao of Physics basically talked about how they turned to Taoism and insights from the yin-yang and ancient philosophy to, because they were literally thinking, I'm going to go crazy. Because I don't understand how something can be a particle and a wave. Which one is it? How can something be in motion or at rest? It was just one of those books. I kind of like a book that makes my head hurt sometimes Mm because it's really straining. And at the same time, it's kind of beautiful. And you realize, well, yeah, it was rocket science. I mean, it was quantum physics. They went to some very simple, powerful philosophy to get through it keep themselves sane, but also get to a solution that was really remarkable with quantum physics. All right. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Probably my favorite tool is the Polarity Map by Barry Johnson. It's this really cool, simple approach to when you have a tension, a conflict, a competing demands, you put it on this two by two grid and you put on the one side, you put the highs and lows of that side. 
Like say, I love a leadership. I'm a leader and I love to be innovative, but I also like to be really disciplined. Well, at your best, what does your innovative self look like? At its worst, if that's all you did, like you're really risky and everything, right? And then at the same time you do at my disciplined best and at my disciplined worst, I'm a real pain, right? And the point of the Barry's polarity map is how do you stay in the top two quadrants, right? How do you let the, the tightrope walking, you're probably not disciplined and innovative at the same time, but you're iterating between the two. And how do you avoid going down into the depths of the negative? But I love the polarity map. It's just a great tool. Mm-hmm. And a favorite habit? I'm not always good at this, but I think meditation is a really powerful habit because I think our minds can get in our way. And meditation is just a powerful practice to clear out the mess and have some calm so that we might not jump so automatically to a place that isn't always in our best interest and listen to the voices that might be taking us the wrong direction in our heads. Okay. And is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you often. Um, I think a a key nugget uh, is probably just uh, the power of a paradox mindset to say, you know, at our best, let's not get stuck in these vicious cycles of either or thinking, which we think of as rabbit holes, uh, wrecking balls and turf warfare and and really look for more creative, lasting solutions. And I, I that's what I'm hoping our work is doing, taking it out of a, a more academic realm and thinking more about people's lives. And how do you how do you deal with the tensions? Because they are human. It is what the world we live in. And it's natural. But I also think it, tensions are beneficial. Mm-hmm. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I'd point them to bothandthinking.net. They can find out more about the work we've done in media, more about the book, other places to hear and see us. But also there are lots of places you can buy it. And so we just try to put it a one-stop shop for there. All right. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Boy, I mean, I I think this is a, a challenging time. I think a lot of people are stepping back and saying, what do I want? I hope people use both and thinking to make those decisions because I know that we can feel we want impact. We want meaning. We also want flexibility and finances. We want a lot of things from our jobs that can feel like they're pulling in us in opposite directions. I think this is the time to be more creative and think differently about what we really want and need out of our jobs. All right. Thank you, Marianne. I wish you much luck and cool results from both and thinking. Thank you. I wish you all the best, Pete. Thank you for this podcast. I really think Marianne's wisdom is going to stick with me whenever I ask myself, do I or should I, that I'm going down kind of a binary either or pathway and say, hmm, how do I? Cool things opening up in terms of more options, which could be even better than the upfront binary framing I was giving that I didn't even realize I was given. Good stuff from Marianne. Again, the show notes, the transcript, and the links to items that we referenced are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP820. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. 
Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.